Hello and welcome to Education Newscast episode number 103. My name is Christoph Hafner and I'm your host today. Uh, before I introduce today's guests, let me start with some housekeeping news because um, Education Newscast has now its official English channel where we compile for you all the shows that we have recorded so far in English. And um, yeah, we are planning to record much more in English. Um, you will find it already on Spotify and soon on Open SAP, our podcast home base and on apple podcasts and tune in and all the good well-known podcasting platforms so those of you who don't speak german but english um, have now the chance to subscribe to the english episodes only and we'll keep you posted on that but let me now introduce today's guests, both coming from SAP this time again. We have Antonia Zorn and Andy Michaels with us. Great to have you. Thanks, Christoph. Thank you, Christoph. Great. Here. And yeah, today's topic is an initiative um, that uh, you started some time ago already. And it became over time a real success story in, yeah, as I understood it, developing SAP colleagues um, to have a more innovative mindset finally. And, um, but yeah, I have the impression it's much more. It's called the SAP Innovator Challenge. But before we talk more about that, um, could you please introduce yourself a bit more and tell us about your professional journey? Maybe starting with you, Antonia. Yeah, sure. So as Christoph said, my name is Antonia Zorn. I am based in Germany, in northern Germany, in Hamburg. And I started with SAP 10 years ago. I started with the vocational studies training. So I did my studies together with SAP for three years. And then I started in a consultant role as an analytics consultant, mainly concentrating on backends. So I did a lot of data warehousing on HANA, so native HANA data warehousing was what I was doing up until basically two years ago when I went into a full-time role of leading the SAP Innovator Challenge globally. I'll talk more about the program, um, but later, I guess, with you guys. But mm -hmm. uh, maybe now, Andy, you want to just quickly introduce yourself too. Sure, absolutely. Thank you, Christoph. Thank you, Antonia. Um, my name is Andy Michaels, and I'm based out of North America, out of our uh, headquarters in Newtown Square. Um, I came to SAP 16 years ago. Um, it's hard to believe that it's been 16 years because it feels like I just joined yesterday when I was driving up to the headquarters for my interview. Um, but uh, I went to college in Philadelphia, um, one of the universities that's um, close to the SAP campus. And we had an SAP program back then, and I actually took a course in FI um, way back when. And uh, so it catapulted me into the SAP track of information systems. And, um, you know, here I am 16 years later. Uh, I've had a number of different roles in my SAP career. Um, I actually started off as a developer, which was fun for a while. Um, but then I really had a knack for uh, working with our customers. And I transitioned into a functional role in sales and distribution. Um, I worked with a lot of different industries during that time, 
And um, I always had an aptitude for leading and for organizing and um, figuring out what milestones needed to be met. And so I ended up transitioning into a project management track. And I did that for quite some time. I led a number of big projects in North America. Um, I got to travel a lot, even globally, with our uh, projects. And then one day, someone talked to me about moving into the user experience and mobile practice. And I didn't really know what it was going to be, but I knew it was a good opportunity and the right time to take a risk. And I jumped into that. And uh, that's what I've been doing since for the past about seven years. So that's kind of how I ended up meeting Antonia. And there's a lot more to the story, but um, I'll pause there for Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, great. So I, th- I think the, you are very good examples for, um, yeah, this development that w- we see so often at, at SAP as well, but also in other companies that people, um, went to university, learned something like you, you started as a developer and, um, but then, um, it goes into a completely different direction so that nothing, nothing finally is carved in stone, um, uh, concerning your future. And, um, I think that there you, you are really great examples and um yeah it fits it fits of course well in this um innovative mindset that i i addressed at the beginning so um let's talk about the um, sap innovator challenge what is this all about maybe um uh, antonia you can start a little bit how this uh, idea came up Yeah, so basically this was back in 2016 and my manager had just come back from our annual kickoff meeting and he presented some slides there, strategy slides. And on those slides, I saw the the word or the abbreviation IoT a lot. And it was all about SAP is moving into the IoT space now. And I, as a consultant, of course, was curious about how this was going to be used with our customers and how the technology worked behind it. And I really wanted to understand it better. And then I approached my manager and I said, hey, I really want to learn about this, but I have the feeling that we don't really have enough customer projects yet where we can where we can shadow anyone or learn about it. And I told him about my idea of just creating uh, basically a program ourselves internally where we could work on innovative topics for educational purposes while having fun and working together in a team. And of course, to make people a little bit more competitive and for them to take it seriously and work harder, I said, hey, why not put a gamification aspect to it and make it a challenge so have the teams compete against each other while they're learning. And he really liked the idea. And so we tried it out just in Germany in 2016. Really small. I think in the end, we had 35 participants. It was completely voluntarily. It still is. So no one has to join, but everyone can join. And we put together seven teams and they worked. Back then, it was only on IoT topics for six months. And in the end, we got everyone together and did a final event where everyone presented their cases in front of a jury. We invited all our managers and also we got to invite uh, the head of analytics at that time, the global head, who flew in from the US to Germany, which was really special for us at that time. And she was also on the judging panel. And afterwards, she encouraged me to take this initiative and make it a global program. 
And of course, I said, well, you know, I'm going to need some help. And she helped me organize people all around the globe to support in the different regions. And then in 2017, we went global and we basically went from 35 participants to 350 in the next year, which was pretty overwhelming, also pretty cool. And mm -hmm. over the years, the program has been evolving we now are called Innovator Challenge because it's not only about IoT anymore. It's about all different technologies. And what started out as a mostly technical enablement program is now, like you said in the beginning, it's really more about a mindset shift and a working in an innovative environment, very different to your day-to-day -day job and kind of breaking the routine, getting to know people in, in different areas and working together with them, that's basically what we're trying to do with the Innovator Challenge these days. Mm -hmm. um, Andy, can you maybe outline a little bit more um, the, the concept um, and the setup, how it looks today? Sure. So um, coming uh, into the Innovator Challenge um, initially as a participant um, in, I think it was uh, 2018, um, I had an opportunity to meet with Antonia. She told me about the program that she was working on and um, I had really wanted to get more involved in it. So I was first a participant actually, and then mm -hmm. I moved into a host. And so um, we have a lot of different uh, levels that help manage this because it is such a big global program. I am part of the North America team. And so we have hosts and we have coaches here in North America. Antonia can elaborate a little bit more on how they take it from the global level. But um, when we basically work towards regionalizing some of the content, uh, it helps to have local folks who can reach out, um, uh, execute things that we need um, done, uh, hold, you know, time zone specific uh, information sessions. Um, and we really work together. I think one of the big things for me when I was um, getting involved in the Innovator Challenge was um, opening the door to the concept of working in this global environment so seamlessly. I think um, prior to the Innovator Challenge, I always looked at, oh, God, it's got to be so hard to get somebody from APJ on the phone from the East Coast here in North America, or, you know, how can I reach out to my counterparts down in Latin America and get the responses? But it creates this network globally of people that we can reach out to and leverage um, and work together as a team. And it far exceeded any expectations that I ever had about being able to work in that kind of environment. Cool. And Antonio, do you want to talk a little bit more about how you've got things structured from the core team and, and the regions? Yeah, so basically one one big aspect, like Andy said, is that we do have the people in the regions, the, our, our local hosts, who take care of the people and make, make sure the people feel like they're, they can address questions. So in this virtual setting and the innovator challenge is mostly virtual. In the, in the years back, we did have the final events on site. Of course, this year with COVID happening, that that's also going to be different for us, but it's mostly virtual. So for the six months that the people work on their, on their prototype, on their ideas, they usually do not do not are not on site and so to have someone in your region that you can approach whenever you have a question is really important and also to let us know any any region specific requirements or 
Or yeah, there's there's small technicalities. <laughs> we we do have, for example, we do let our participants also order hardware, and so that there you have to watch out in different regions. There's different requirements as in every company, I guess. So it's always great to have people on site to really make sure that um, they they let us know about anything that that is different in that region. But I think the personal connection is the most important thing. They that I mean, Andy. Being in North America, English speaking, of course, that's that's a little bit easier maybe than um, someone Latin America where it's mainly Spanish speaking and, and then we got Portuguese. So someone approaching me from Latin America is less likely than them approaching uh, our our hosts in Latin America who, who do speak their native language. And then we try to eliminate as many barriers as we can by connecting the people to, to colleagues that they feel comfortable connecting with. Because, of course, this should be something, like I said in the beginning, it sh should mainly be something fun and without, without creating any, any hesitations or any barriers where people don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, maybe one question, um, as you mentioned, learning should be fun. Um, I know in, maybe it's a little bit of a, German mindset, but um, I, I saw many people who thought learning is not fun, learning is hard work, and it must somehow hurt. Um, if not, it's not really learning. And um, do you had also some some um, issues in in getting people convinced with your idea that they say, ah, gamification, poo, I don't know, um, that's maybe good for children, but not in a in a professional um, IT company, and their learning must be a little bit harder and not 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 only fun and, and gaming or whatever. Um, have there been obstacles or, or issues towards that? So did you, was there the need to fight for your ideas? Antonia, <laughs> yeah. I'll start and you can, you can elaborate. <laughs> so basically what I think for us has been the biggest challenge is to, to let people know that, We are not a program where we come up with the greatest ideas that are going to save our customers or make our customers run run better. Um, we are a program that educates people. And so when we say that our participants develop prototypes, a lot of the times the people ask us, okay, cool. And, you know, what, what are you doing with those prototypes? How many of those prototypes have been you know, taken to the customer, made into products? And then my favorite answer, which is not true, by the way, but my favorite answer is none. And, and then I usually tell them, so the last classroom training that you went to, let me ask you, how many of those exercises that you did during that training, how many of those exercises did you take back to your customer or how many of those did you turn into product? And you guys can imagine what the answer there is. <laughs> so really trying to outline that it is an educational program. And even though it's called Innovator Challenge and everyone thinks, oh, they're creating so many innovative things, we really, with our participants as well, try and concentrate on the learning aspect, which also for our participants is sometimes hard to understand because they do get very competitive. And um, I can't tell you how many times I'm asked, Tonya, but... What if we don't win because we concentrate on the learning too much? And <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> so, Andy, I don't know if you have any any more things to add on that side. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I would say that it's amazing how competitive <laughs> people are at SAP. Um, as soon as something becomes a competition, it um, becomes their motivation. Um, it doesn't matter what the prize is. And I mean, it's the prizes are literally just, you know, the pat on the back and the recognition for the most part, right? Um, to be able to have the claim to fame that you won the Innovator Challenge. But it's an extremely competitive environment where people come to win, which is great. And they all and they come to learn. And, and that's great, too. When I think about some of the obstacles, um, especially here in North America, where I was the host, I believe the biggest was just the communication, the understanding of what it was um, in the beginning. Even the first year, I, I didn't participate because I didn't know what it was. I missed the email. And the way I got involved was by my colleague who you know, read the email and was like, yeah, I, I want to do this. He participated and he was the best advocate for the program. He's like, you have to do this next year. It's so much fun. I learned so much. I pushed my boundaries. So as I was looking for that email the next year and I immediately signed up. And I think that's how we've really, you know, exploded the participation to include so many is that our participants become the advocates for the program and they're waiting for, it. I mean, we start getting emails. I mean, in February, when's the program kicking off? When is it starting? Do we know the timelines yet from participants? And they recruit more talent into their teams also. And that's another reason why it continues to grow because they start to think about next year's prototype the second they step off the stage from the final event. How can I do better? If I didn't win this year, how can I come back next year stronger? Who else can I recruit <laughs> to my team to be more robust? So um, I think we, we've overcome a lot of those communication obstacles um, of people not really knowing. And, and now it's, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you, you're talking a lot about um, this competitive setup that you have, which is quite interesting, because everyone is then trying to be better than the other ones. But um, as I understood it, you work in teams. So um, what are your experiences um, there with um, yeah, being creative and innovative in a team? Do people have to learn a lot? Or is already everything there and they just need to, to try it out? Most of them have to learn a lot. And it's, it's funny because it's for each person, I would say, is very different in which space they have to learn things. So we try and teach them different tools. For example, it starts out with the, the innovator challenge always starts out with the ideation phase. So our participants do not have to have an idea before they join. Mm -hmm. The idea is that they that they sit together with their team and they brainstorm together and then they come up with an idea within the team. And so for that, we introduce some tools, we introduce techniques. And for a lot of the people who are more technical, this is something new or even the tools. And then they get they we get great feedback about, wow, okay, I, I heard about this tool, but I never had a reason to use it. And this is basically what what we try with the Innovator Challenge is the learn by learning by doing mm -hmm. concept. So we we try and push them to use things that they usually don't use. And then when they when they know how to use them, it's a lot easier for them to integrate it into their daily work. So I think for for everyone there is a learning on how to use different things. Some 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 people learn in the very beginning when it's all about ideation. And there we also have our, our coaches. So each team gets assigned a coach 
And that coach is really there to challenge the team. Once the team has come to an agreement on an idea, the coach might come in and challenge the whole idea. And Andy, I know that you're mm. one of those coaches who does that a lot. So maybe you can, you can share some of your experiences here. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think ideation is definitely the hardest phase for them. I mean, believe it or not, learning these, you know, leading edge technologies seems to sometimes be the easy part. It's, that upfront, how do I get an idea that um, solves a problem and tells a story um, and make it in such that it's achievable? Um, that's one of the things that I always find is that we've got people with grand ideas and sometimes they're too big. And a lot of what I do um, as a design thinking coach here at SAP, um, this is one of the areas I love to help them focus on is to is to get a little bit more focused. So I'll bring walk them through maybe some design thinking sessions. I'll help them prioritize what's the most important part of their idea. What story is it going to tell to the judges at the end um, and help them kind of craft that journey? We always keep saying, remember, you know, the MVP, the minimum viable product work to that first and then let's layer on that additional complexity to help them get to that finals. But um, yeah, I, I love working with the teams because a lot of times the idea is already there. It's not me coming in and giving them an idea. It's just a matter of either helping them refine it or pulling an idea out they don't even realize was just kind of sitting right there in front of them. So it, it's been fun. And, and that's one of the skills that they learn too, right, is design thinking, ideation, presentation skills. Um, it's more than just a technical skill. It's, it's a comprehensive program that helps them learn all aspects from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. Um, what um, techniques you are using? You mentioned design thinking and mm -hmm. this uh, ideation processes. And uh, Antonia, you mentioned some um, tools there. Um, and um, I assume you, you you are talking about technical tools, platforms, software that you are using, um, but maybe also other tools. Can you give um, some more insights into that? What you are actually using there for what? Especially in combination with um, techniques like um, um, design thinking, which is usually not so much of a remote exercise, um, but you do this remotely. And I think this is very interesting. Yeah, so basically the tool that we mostly recommend for this is Mural. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know it, it's an online whiteboard basically where you have the possibility to create sticky notes and also upload images and really just um, basically a whiteboard except that you don't need to print out anything <laughs> or have any mm -hmm. paper involved. So, and we encourage a lot of our participants to use it. Some of them know this, know it. Some of them don't. And when uh, when they use it for the first time, it it's a little. You can tell it's a struggle sometimes. You know, okay, how do I you know create a sticky note? Okay, how do I write something on this sticky note right now? It is very intuitive. So when you use it the second time, it gets a lot easier. And there you can. There are templates where you can have a user journey map and you can create personas and all the things that, that come along with design thinking. And and you can really use Mural. I mean, I use it basically on a daily basis, basis nowadays. Uh, for all my meetings, I it usually uh, obviously depends on the meeting. I don't use PowerPoint anymore. I really try and just um, use a tool where I'm a lot more flexible. And then, believe it or not, Microsoft Teams is also one tool that we are using and where we are also still doing knowledge transfer. So a lot of our participants don't use Microsoft Teams in the way that we believe it should be used. 
So using Microsoft Teams where you have a team, where you're using channels, where you're posting things in the right channels, where you have different different add-ins integrated into Microsoft Teams. The tool itself is very, very powerful. A lot of people also don't know, don't know that or maybe know that, but do not make use of this. And so mm -hmm. this, again, is where we push our participants to use it because some of the things that, that we do, they, they have to use it. We, we, we push them into it. So if they have a question, they need to create a post in Microsoft Teams. If they want to know how they can log on to our SAP Cloud Platform, they need to access our wiki, which we have in Microsoft Teams. So we we try and make it as simple as it gets, but we also say, hey, we're moving away from emails, we're moving mm -hmm. away from meeting requests, and we're using things that, you know, have been um, or yeah, are being released on the market to work in a more innovative way, even in your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I That's a very interesting point that, that you are addressing there, that, that you move away from patterns that you are used to since years, maybe, um, like using emails for all your conversations and using um, PowerPoint for all your presentations. And um, um, do you know if this has a kind of sustainable effect on how people behave afterwards so that they take this as well as learning into their teams and that they try to change maybe things like um, just just uh, the chat functionality in a, in a Teams uh, group there, which is just there and it stays there and it, it's not closed after a while and just using these things is this um something that your participants really take into their teams then and try at least to to introduce it there or do they go back to the patterns they are used to before I can take that one. Um I can tell you that um I was very uncomfortable in teams. I <laughs> think it was last year. <laughs> Um, and I hadn't used Mural before. Um, now I use them all the time. I, mm -hmm. I needed the comfort of the innovator challenge to try out these new tools where if I made a mistake, it was okay. Or if I, if Mural didn't work out the way I wanted it to, it was okay to then feel confident to then take that out. And this is kind of, I look back about 18 months ago on um, where I was with Teams and Mural And as a design thinking coach who's used to also going in and doing things on, in person with my sticky notes to the mm -hmm. current situation that we're all in globally, having to do everything remote, not having that luxury to go out to my customer and meet them face to face. The Innovator Challenge instilled these, let's use these technologies last year, 18 months ago. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able to carry forward. I think it's definitely one of the reasons why we've been able to be so successful is we've influenced our participants to use Teams, to use murals, to think outside the box. So when we are presented with real life challenges, we've, we've just pushed through them. And, and okay, we, we use mural, we use Teams, we use other collaboration tools, Zoom, whatever it is. Um, it gave us that confidence that working virtually and achieving these goals was possible. And we did it in an environment where we're all friends, we can ask questions. And so when we go out to our customers to do it, we've had a lot of experience and comfort in it. So our transitions were very easy. So I would say, yes, we 100% carried that forward into our day-to-day our -day work. Mm -hmm. 
And cool. I think one thing, Andy, that you mentioned was, which, which I also always say is that safe environment, that mm-hmm. because we are not focused on a specific project, a specific customer, because we want everyone to learn, the people really feel comfortable in asking us even simple questions where they might have the feeling, okay, maybe I should know this, but I just don't. <laughs> and, and then they reach out, you know, and then, um, what I do is really, I, sometimes where I see, okay, this person, it, it's just three clicks. They're just three clicks away from where they want to get. Mm-hmm. I call them, I share my screen, I show them. The call usually doesn't last longer than two minutes. And they're super grateful. And I think just creating that environment and showing them, hey, it's okay not to know everything, even maybe it's okay not to know any is something that is maybe for other people very obvious. Mm-hmm. I think that is also the, the kind of cultural aspect that we're trying to touch here, really to say, come on, reach out for help, but then also help yourself when you can. And to, to really make, I mean, SAP is a great company already and we have amazing colleagues, but to continue this and with, with new technology popping up for, for people who are experts in one field, it might be pretty overwhelming that now they, they have to be reaching out to um, to their colleagues on Teams rather than writing an email. I mean, uh, so really, you know, giving people the feeling that they are allowed to still learn. They don't have to know everything and that they can still, with their skills, help others, even though on other, on other levels, they might be the learners themselves. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Overall, um, as we have outlined now the, the basic concept that you have for the Innovator Challenge and um, the techniques you are applying, the tools that you use, and also um, yeah, the, the takeaways um, for, for the people, um, do you also got um, feedback um, whether your idea is is working in the way that you envisioned is it or in, in maybe different um, results that that people have um, yeah their their learnings that they can can take that you did not expect it so um, in a nutshell how um, successful do you um, think or or see um that um your your training or your your um, initiative is for um the attendees you want to start Andy, or should i <laughs> why don't you start now all right okay <laughs> so basically i mean we collect feedback every year of course and the feedback <laughs> i'm uh, to be honest last, last time one of my colleagues Uh, summarize the feedback, put it on a slide. And I looked at the slide and I said, I don't think we can show this uh, because um, all the <laughs> scores were, I think the lowest score we got was like 93%. And it, mm-hmm. it, it looks super boring and I don't want to be cocky here. I know that, <laughs> I mean, when you, when you, when you collect feedback, many people are usually very positive. So maybe some, some like individual stories, about about real people that have been in the program. So one of my colleagues actually, and, and now also one of my best friends, she joined SAP as an intern and she was enrolled in the Innovator Challenge. And she had planned that after her six-month internship, she would start her first, time, first job with a different company. She already had interviewed with them. And when she was working at SAP, 
and also participating in the Innovator Challenge, she slowly understood that SAP was actually the company that she wanted to work for, also in her first job. And we explored how we could get her a job, and um, we did find a headcount for her. And and then there was the problem of salary uh, at the other company. The salary that they offered her was pretty high, and we um, we could not make her the same offer. But anyway, she stayed, and she stayed. The, one of the biggest reasons was that she saw that SAP did offer programs like the Innovator Challenge that SAP focuses on their employees and wants them to learn. And I think that's that's for me a personal success story. Then we have another colleague who just reached out to me, I think in the beginning of the year, telling me, hey, Antonia, I, I just started a new project. This is a colleague in Latin America with... Um, IRPA, which is one of our most innovative technologies. And she said, hey, it's just because I learned everything during the Innovator Challenge and I was able to go to the customer and actually build something for them. So that's that's two stories where I think, yeah, uh, we are definitely we're definitely helping our colleagues move into a more innovative space. And some of them, yes, they they take the skills and they immediately are able to apply them to their daily job. But for others, it's just, you know, they have their daily job and then, but then they still have the innovator challenge on the side where, where they can just go a little crazy. I always say so they can explore things that they normally can't. And even if they don't necessarily take many things right into their normal job, it's still the, Employee engagement, I guess, that that we we try and and enhance or improve when when our participants are doing the innovator challenge because, like I said in the beginning, it's really we we try to make it as fun as possible, as different as possible, so people do get a chance to move out of the daily business mindset and move into a more creative space. Mm-hmm. I would just add that. Um it definitely re-energizes our participants. Uh, a lot of people come to SAP, they stay at SAP, and we have these long careers here, which um, we're so lucky to be a part of. And if you think back to maybe any point in your career where you are in an audience and you hear a speaker and, and they really resonate with you and they really inspire you, right? And you get that feeling and you walk out of uh, the conference room or the meeting or something, and you have this really great feeling about it, right? And, and it's an awesome feeling. And then sometimes you go back to your day-to-day job and it fades away. And and how do you capture that feeling of, of being inspired, right? It's hard mm-hmm. to do. Not everybody can. I've been to a number of different events at SAP where I felt that, right? With some of our leadership when they're speaking to us directly, being the inspired um, carries so much into your careers. And I find that I get those moments so frequently when I'm part of the Innovator Challenge. The final events, you walk out of there and you have this inspired feeling that carries you for for months, right? And then before you kind of are back into the doldrums of whatever it is you're working on, another thing occurs and you feel inspired again. And what it really does is it shifts your mindset, right? I know just myself in the past couple years, um, I look at everything differently. When a customer comes to me with a problem, 
the first thing I look at is not anymore from like that project management mindset to say, does it fit within the scope and the budget and the, you know, the, the little confines of what we've got, but how can I make it work? How can I make it happen? How can I say yes mm. instead of saying no? So um, I think those feelings, and that's the feedback that I get from a lot of the participants about how it changes the way they feel about things. It inspires them and how they carry that forward. So. Mm. Yeah, this really sounds as if you are on the completely right track, um, getting such great feedback as well. But anyhow, I would also be interested in your biggest fails. So um, what went terribly wrong, maybe, or um, to what people you were not able to to reach out to? So where you went crazy or whatever i think that's also always interesting for our audience to to learn about um what did not work and maybe also the reasons why it didn't work so sometimes you have great expectations and then you see it does not go into the direction as you expected was there such a situation <laughs> um, <laughs> i hope so <laughs> Of course. Um, let me just think of the, uh, the most funny one. Um, no, so basically, definitely working in a global environment, for me, I've learned so much and I have messed up so many things. I mean, um, I mean, small things like watching out for each country's holiday when you're planning an event um, to, you know, just, I, um, yeah, rem remembering that, that for some people, The competition part of it, for example, is is so much more important than for other people. Than for for others, we put together a lot of the teams, right? And uh, sometimes mm. the teams just don't work out because of different reasons. And then, of course, you need to kind of figure out, okay, how how are we gonna how are we gonna react? And um, sometimes it, it does happen that our participants leave. And they leave frustrated because it didn't work out. And that, of course, is nothing that we're aiming for, but it does happen. And we, we really try to even rearrange teams when we're noticing that they don't work out, but it doesn't, doesn't always help. And one thing I think, which we did last year, if I, if I remember correctly, we called them buddy team calls. We, we had the idea of connecting teams from different regions and having them give each other feedback. And so we, we put together a long list of um, which team would be which team's buddy team. And they would then, we, we said you, throughout the whole th six months, you would have three calls where you would present your current status and then you'd receive feedback. But what we do have, because this is something that is next to everyone's daily job, we do have people who drop out and we do have teams who drop out. <laughs> So the buddy team calls, I would call more or less a failure, which we also did not repeat this year. We, we managed it differently because in the end we had um, many, many teams who didn't have a buddy team anymore, who actually were <laughs> okay. excited about the idea. But then, mm. and then, um, yeah, rearranging the list in a way, it got very, very confusing for everyone. And <laughs> so the idea of connecting the people from different regions. I think everyone did like that idea, but the execution of it was definitely not done well in the first year of trying. This year we did it differently. We we didn't assign the teams. We are now doing um, something that we call milestone review calls, where we just invite five different teams and to talk to each other. 
And there, then, of course, the effect of meeting other people is bigger. And um, since it's every all for all three milestones, it's always the teams that are still in the in the running. So we don't have anyone being being matched with with a team that is not there. But that was definitely something that we did not really realize until it was happening. And then <laughs> we were so busy organizing other things that we couldn't really take care of that. And so I, I do know that a lot of teams were a little sad about not being able to to have any calls with their buddies. <laughs> yeah. Andy, Tony, do, Andy. Uh, Andy do, do you have any... Um, I would say our um, our dropouts is just the one thing that I'd like to improve on um, because what ends up happening in that case is uh, if we have people who drop out, somebody who still wants to continue, it's not always easy to get them into another team depending at what point in the challenge they drop out. So um, it's, it, it's not a failure on a whole, but it is a failure for that participant. And so those are one mm -hmm. of the things that we continue to keep trying to work on because each year, I mean, it happened on uh, my first team. So when I was participating, we pushed through, we made it to the finals, which was good. But um, <laughs> we had a, a group that we had kind of recruited, but they had to drop out because of project commitments. And then luckily we had some early talents that came in. So I just scooped up a couple early talents who are probably the most eager to learn something and was able to push forward. But if I didn't get those additional resources in midway, you know, we would have been one of those statistical dropout teams. So um, I think that's something we continue to work on um, year over year um, and a statistic that we try to continue to reduce is that dropout rate. I have, I have another one. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mentioned, I mentioned that each team gets a coach. And so of course we also need to recruit coaches. Mm -hmm. And last year, what we did was we just basically had an open, um, yeah, an open application where, where anyone could apply to be a coach. And then we did try and do interviews with the coaches, but since we had so many applications, we couldn't really take care of that too well. So it was more like a short 15 minute info kind of this would be your role and would that be okay with you? And so we didn't really do a good screening of the coaches and, and that ended up in some no show coaches, which was not good. So some people registered and then didn't really commit to it, which was mm -hmm. a pity because then the teams were left alone. And of course there again, communication. And until we understood that the coach was not really present, it had already passed, um, I don't know, two, three months that um, the teams were already kind of worrying whether or not anyone was taking care of them. <laughs> and then we also had some coaches who we did think that we had briefed them, but still they did not completely understand what the Innovator Challenge was about. And they were getting frustrated with their teams because they did not think the output was enough. Mm -hmm. And so we, we had actually one coach who basically um, um, deregistered de his team without letting the team know because we oh. thought they, they were not, their output was not enough for them to go to the final. <laughs> Luckily, <Wow>. we noticed <laughs> this and, and let the team know that they're still welcome if they did learn something, if they did work on something. And no, it does not have to be the next big thing that they show in the finals and it has to be their learning experience. And so they're, of course, now, uh, I don't think I've, I've said any numbers about how big we've gotten, but this year we, we reached over a thousand participants. So of course, we oh, try wow. and make it as personal as possible. We try and get to know each coach 
as, as well as we can and to really implement the idea of, no, it doesn't have to be perfect. No, we're not result oriented in the way that the end prototype needs to be perfect. We're people oriented. And so <laughs> they are again and again, we have to improve and we do fail at times, but it's always a learning. And this year, for example, we, we only had coaches register upon recommendation. And we only asked those again that we really liked from the last year so that we would avoid getting in people who, who just did not understand what, what their role would be because it is different. And so that's how we're moving forward. And like Andy said earlier with the propaganda that our participants and also coaches are doing, that worked out really well this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for, for these insights. I think that's really helpful because it shows at the end that on the one hand, it really requires a lot of soft skills and empathy and, um, but also organization and, and really monitoring that everything is going is going the right way there yeah um before we move on to to the last part of this podcast where you might give us some some personal insights or recommendations and tips um is there anything else we should mention concerning the innovator challenge maybe, one point that we did not address yet maybe one thing that we haven't mentioned yet but since this also goes out to an external audience What we have been working on during the whole year is to take the program that we have developed internally and put it into a form, or as we say, within our organization into a service that we can actually also do this with our customers' employees. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it is, uh, if any, any customer is interested in rolling out such a learning program, we now are capable of supporting them with coaches with, of course, the whole framework and the methods that we use. And so that's something that we are really excited about. It's it's just starting out, so there's not too much to tell on that end. But for sure, um, that's, I think, worth mentioning right now as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And and people can also um, just address for or ask for more information on, on LinkedIn yes, or Twitter for sure, easily? For sure. LinkedIn, okay, yeah. definitely. Just... Mm -hmm. Reach out to me. <laughs> I'll be cool. happy to give more information. Um, Great. I think the only other thing yeah. that I wanted to make sure that we mentioned was the success that we had with our learning labs um, this summer. I don't know if we've really highlighted that yet on the call. Uh, but mm -hmm. in, what was it, February, um, Antonia? I think I was uh, headed to Waldorf for some meetings and we decided to meet up with our colleagues um, in Waldorf and start planning out our learning labs. And we did a great design thinking session and we had, you know, Wait, Andy, maybe we need to, we need to elaborate what the learning labs are. Oh yeah. <laughs> do, do you want to talk about it? Okay. Why don't you so it up? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so the learning labs are something that we started last year. It's a three day, it used to be <laughs> a three day onsite event where all the participants got together and worked together for three days in kind of hackathon hackathon setting. So they'd get input sessions in the morning and then they'd work on their prototypes with all the experts present in the afternoon. And this was just really in the middle of the challenge. So after three months to give them a boost into developing their prototype. And now Andy, mm -hmm. you continue with the story. <laughs> so 
I, I participated last year in the learning labs and hosted here in North America. And it was such a great event. And so we were planning it in, in Germany and it was great. And we were cruising ahead and, and then the pandemic struck and no one can travel and no one can co-locate. And Antonia brought us together as a team who was working on the learning labs. And we had to start to completely reimagine this event. And, um, we had some really ambitious goals and I think it was scary for a while, <laughs> Um, because we're trying to figure out how can we recreate that magic that we have in each of those events, that inspiring moment, and still do it virtually. And I don't know if we really anticipated the success that we were going to have with it. Um, we didn't know who was going to want to sign up for a virtual event. How were we going to engage people over the course of three days virtually through a computer, you know, eight to 10 hours a day? Um, I want to kind of give Antonia a little bit opportunity to elaborate here on, you know, how it went and, and, and what the successes were. Yeah. So like I said, last year we did on-site. So we had nine on-site events and we had around, I think, 300 participants who were able to travel to the on-site events and, and be there for the three, three days. And this year, of course, we, we also did a registration and suddenly we had 600 people globally <laughs> register wow. and I was imagining we'd have around 300 again. And so when I saw this number, I was like, Oof, oh, boy, OK, now um, that's going to be something big. And and then we said, OK, I mean, we'll be operating basically 24 hours in the end. I think it was like 21 hours a day. But for three days. We had we organized, I think, over 60 experts in all different regions. So during each time of the day, if it was 3 a.m. in Germany or 1, 1 a.m. at night, um, there was someone for for a certain topic available to answer questions for the participants. Gave the participants a chance to work whenever they wanted. So even if you were based in China, you could work later in, in the day and, you know, still do normal daily job in the mornings. And if you were, uh, yeah, you, you could, you could basically also same as we did work 21 hours for those, for those three days. <laughs> and it was, it was crazy. It was overwhelming. Everyone was there, was working. We created meeting rooms for each, each team. So we had around 180 meeting rooms where people were chatting and within teams, of course, Microsoft teams. Mm. And, um, and, it it was just and you talked about magic definitely there was magic happening because the teams were it, it felt like we were all in one room we we mm -hmm. somehow managed it to create a, a setting where everyone was so passionate about these three days that it did not matter that we were in a virtual setting anymore mm -hmm. and i could just you know from these breakout rooms that we had created i could just jump into one talk to a team for 10 minutes and then i could drop by another team, maybe even in a completely different region and, and talk to them and they could always reach out to us. And I think the, the personal connection that a lot of people are missing during, during this lockdown time or not travel time, uh, that was gone for those three days. I felt like Andy was right next to me. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that was, that was super cool. And, uh, we are, I think, super proud of, of managing that. So a global, global three-day hackathon with, I think, in the end, over 600 participants. That was pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, and when I hear all that, I think the 
for me, it sounds as if the key to your success is not only the concept or that you are so engaged and enthusiastic about it, but also that you just created a great learning experience for uh, your learners. And I think that's really um, a core um Yeah, a core point to to really make make learning fun and and successful at the at the end of the day. It starts in school with a bad learning experience. You do not learn anything, I think, <laughs> or not so much. And the better the experience is, the more you learn at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I would agree yeah. for sure. Cool. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. And now let's maybe jump to, to, um, the last part of, of this podcast where I asked you for some personal learning insights. Um, uh, one thing we, we really like to, to ask our, our, um, uh, interviewees here is, um, also what have been your greatest learning experience so far? So beside, of course, the Innovator Challenge. <laughs> Maybe, Antonia, you want to start? Um, my, my greatest learning experience, I think, um, I think for me, like I said, I started out at, at SAP right out of high school. So uh, I, I've not really, um, yeah, I've, Let me let me see how I phrase this. So basically, mm -hmm. as a young professional, being 21 when I was finished and starting into a consulting role, of course, I was very shy at first and, and a little scared too. And just just observing or, or actually experiencing that even when you are young and maybe you don't have that much experience, when you approach a problem and you really try with a logical approach to solve it, and you do use people in your network to support you, you can deliver an excellent project in my case. Uh, and it does not it does not mean that you can't do something when you are just starting out with something. It, it really is all about being maybe a little bit transparent. So I never pretended like I knew something that I didn't know, but it's all also about really reaching out to people for help and, and being mm -hmm. okay with that and and noticing um, for me of course i mean that people love helping and mm -hmm. it's it's not even you know many people feel and i myself also felt like that you, that you're a burden when you reach out for help and within sap and i think within it's human to be honest but we somehow don't realize it helping is it's something that makes yourself when you help someone feel good So I think that for me is a big learning that I don't have to feel like a burden when I when I reach out for help and that I also feel good myself when I when I am able to help someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sharing knowledge and experience. I think that that's really a very crucial part to, to be successful on, on for, it's for both. Yeah. Any. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my greatest learnings. Um, I think uh, I'm going to start with obviously the power of networking. We talk about networking, and you a lot of times look at it from the concept of how many people do I have connected in my LinkedIn profile, or mm -hmm. how many people do I know. 
Um, and I think what, the way we need to change looking at it is, is, you know, how many people or how well do those people know you and how do they know what inspires you, what motivates you and what you want to accomplish in your career. And one of the reasons why I had a chance to connect with Antonia was through the power of networking, right? One of our leaders who we both have worked for and have the utmost respect for recognized the commonality in us and that, that we would benefit from knowing each other. And that's the power of networking is um, being able to put people together who can excel and support each other um, and make each other better. And I think um, I always looked at it as just, does this person know me? And I think that helped me learn that networking isn't just about checking a box on a name. It's about engaging, interacting, and then paying it forward and sharing with other people as well. Um, the other thing I think that it took me a while to learn this um, when I started out in my career, I was very, you know, okay, go get them and uh, learn everything and do everything. And then no slight to project managers. I think that's one of the hardest jobs out there. Um, but being an IT project manager, um, I think you, you fail often. <laughs> so when you think about how you have to navigate through getting a project live, um, learning how to have to adjust, cut scope, you know, and balance success, you're not batting a hundred every time, you know, you're, you have to be successful in the most important parts. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that gave me a certain mindset that probably wasn't the best. Right. And since I've moved on from project, traditional project management and into these other aspects, it's forced me to relook at how I approach things. Right. I can't just look at it as, you know, uh, a cost time analysis, et cetera. Um, I have to look at things that are innovative, that bring different um, value to our customers. That's not always a tangible value that I can put in a number and a line on a spreadsheet, right? Um, and that's mm-hmm. part of that user experience. You know, how do we quantify what that is? And so I would say stretching your boundaries, you know, looking for risks to take instead mm-hmm. of just mitigate. Um, that was some yeah. of the things that I had to retrain my brain a little bit to do, to say, this is a risk that I should take and not just try to mitigate it and push it aside. So those are some of, hmm. some of my learnings over the past uh, couple years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this, this fits perfectly into how, how people learn. Um, it's, it's just, um, your brain is growing by working as your, your muscles, um, do. And, and I think that's, If you have this in all aspects, like in networking and thinking and trying out things and um, also looking for challenges, um, uh, that's totally right. So um, what I would as well like to know, if you have some recommendations for our audience, like um, books or readings or, or your favorite podcasts, where you also learn or where you get information or that in- inspires you. Do you have any, any thing to share? Any? Well, let's see. A lot of what I'm reading right now would be my kids' books to them at bed because they're home all the time, right? Um, so the, uh, the self-time is, um, is definitely a little bit more limited these days. But let's see. I, I guess it's not so much about reading a book. I mean, I have some, some blogs that I subscribe to because, um, Mm -hmm. uh, one of my colleagues out of Australia in the user experience practice, she writes blogs about the latest and greatest technology, but she does it in such a way that I genuinely feel like she's talking directly to me. So, um, I would say, you know, if you have 
certain blogs that you subscribe to or podcasts, that's great. Just don't do it because somebody else does it. Do it because it talks to you and it speaks to you and it's something you actually enjoy because then you'll get more out of it. Um, I, I would say in today's challenging times, maybe outside of work, find something else to go out and do and learn. I, I think we're all under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure with the current pandemic. And I know globally, everybody's experiencing it differently. Um, for me, I've found another outlet that um, brings me some joy and happiness and challenges me in a way completely unrelated to work. So I've never played soccer or as we would say globally football, um, but my daughter wants to play soccer. So I'm learning the game. I'm learning the rules. You know, I'm learning how substitution works, positioning and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's giving me another outlet and it's a way I kind of rejuvenate you know, week to week to come back and be more focused, um, on, on some of my work. So it's not necessarily something that's going to make you better, um, developer or project manager, but I would suggest because we're blurring the line so much between our work and personal life, find another thing that's completely new to you. That's going to challenge you in another way. Cause it gives you a little bit more clarity of thought it gives you um, some confidence boosting that you're able to learn something completely different and completely new. Um, and it just makes you better all around. So that's my suggestion. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Antonia. So I, I, I'm sorry. I also don't have a, a book <laughs> recommendation or anything, but um, I think what I uh, always try to, to tell people and, and to inspire people with is really challenge the everyday things um and and really why why are you are you doing this meeting right now does it really make sense to get on this call or or is it just because it's a routine and especially with the situation that we have right now with i mean having meeting after meeting after meeting um i think sometimes just challenging the normal in very very tiny ways can make your life a lot easier and I think that's also what, uh, yeah, what I've been, I've been trying to do is really, does this still make sense? And uh, that can be in your private life, it can be in your, in your work life. And just try and, and challenge everything or, or things that you do that, that where you think maybe, maybe I can find a better way to do this. So yeah, mm. that would be my, that's, that's what I try to, to inspire people with. Most, mm-hmm. when I when I talk to them great yeah thank you so much for all these insights and um, sharing your, your personal personal thoughts here as well um, yeah and and thank you so much for being our guests today in this podcast so we are almost already at the end so thank you for that first of all And I wish you a lot of uh, further success with creating these great learning experiences. I really like that. And yeah, so for our listeners, um, as usual, you will find um, all the links that we can share and um, resources in the show notes. And you find us with our new uh, English-speaking channel on Open SAP on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and we'd really love to answer your questions and share um, thoughts and discussions um, there. We will. We are also working on a discussion feature on Open SAP so that we can maybe also shift some discussions right to our 
podcast home base, as I mentioned in the beginning. So uh, a lot of things to come. So say, uh, stay tuned. And yeah, Antonia, Andy, thank you again for being here. Thank you. And goodbye. And are you thank joining you, the Innovator Challenge next year, Christoph? Yeah, I'm, I'm already thinking about <laughs> okay. it. It, it awesome. really sounds great. <laughs> We'd love to <laughs> have <I> you. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure to put you in a good team. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, Christoph, for having us. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.